welcome to the Clifford Chance podcast, where we discuss the biggest issues and trends faced by businesses today. My name is Emma Eaton, and I'm here with Sarah Johnson, a trainee in our financial institutions group. Today, Sarah will be leading us through a discussion on the development and implementation of InsureTech and questioning its disruptor status as part of an initiative to help junior lawyers become more familiar with this subtopic of fintech. We're joined by Robin Mertens, who is an independent consultant and analyst in the London insurance market and the co-founder and partner of InsTech London, which we will hear more about in just a moment. So over to you, Sarah. Thank you. Hi, Robin. Hi. So you've been working in InsureTech and digitalizing the London market for nearly 19 years. Could you please tell us what attracted you to InsureTech space? Well, I'm very flattered that you think I've been digitizing the insurance market because <laughs> I haven't seen very much digitizing going on. But you're absolutely right. I've spent a long time trying to persuade the London market to digitize. I, I wish I could tell you that I woke up one morning and, and had a sort of um, conversion on the road to Damascus. The world needed to go digital, but, but actually it was much more prosaic than that. Uh, a friend of mine who was in the tech world came to me at a time when I was born for my existing career and said, uh, I've raised £10 million to build e-Lloyds uh, as a dot-com. And in those days, you could raise a huge amount of money if you were going to do something groundbreaking with the internet. And, and, and what had happened was commodities and oil and uh, markets generally had gone uh, internet-based digital and everybody was convinced the insurance market would do it. Uh, and the idea of a startup with £10 million of backing doing something which I'd uh, saw as deeply disruptive when you're disruptive by nature was too much of, a, of an opportunity. So the two of us, a guy called Alex Lex, got together and, and we, we, we started a company called RI3K. And over the next two or three years, we built this digital market. And, and that was the start of the whole digital journey. Amazing. So what are Instec London doing at the moment then? So, um, uh, you know, I got to the end of the road with, with RI3K. Uh, I didn't know what to do. I didn't want to go back to corporate life again. Um, I was a bit battered uh, and didn't want to do another startup. Uh, but I, what I did have was a network of lots of people who were interested in invest, investing in, in technology, who were interested in innovating generally. Uh, and uh, I thought that might be something. Uh, particularly in the light of, of what was happening in, in fintech. So I created this InsTech London as a club. I mean, a people right. people who are interested in innovating. Um, and and it was just happened to get the timing right. I mean, we now have something like three, three and a half thousand individual members, 80 corporate members, because there's a lot of interest in this. Uh, still mainly curiosity rather than engagement. But it's a tele I think if we'd done this 10 years ago, you couldn't have got that level of support. There is a, there's a lot of interest, particularly among the 30, under 35s. And in Tech London, we are trying to support that and put the right people together for the right reasons to try to get something happening. And it's great fun to do because, you know, at long last, I've got a bunch of people who actually believe in what I've been banging Come on about these last events. 19 years. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> um, what would you say are the different ways in which... An insurtech company can deliver value to the insurance industry. At its most uh, brutal, uh, it works like this: insurance can't innovate. I mean, there is no concept of internal innovation in insurance companies. There is no R and D budget. There is no uh, culture for it. So, if you do believe in innovating, you 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 either have to 
fundamentally change your business, how you spend your money, the culture of your people, or you subcontract to other people who are innovating and yeah. you move towards a sort of partnership model. So the, at the most basic level, what startups and, and, and short techs are doing is doing the innovation that would have happened if, if uh, that should be happening within the, the context of insurance companies. Uh, in terms of what are they doing, uh, three things, I think. Um, trying to find ways in which the industry can um, be more efficient in the way it operates, so op OPEX-type efficiency gains. Uh, uh, at least half are doing something around data. Insurance industry is really hopeless with data. It's got data in all kinds of uh, unusable uh, sources. So organizing your data for you, data analytics, adding third-party data sources, that's a big, big part of what, what startups and innovators are doing. Sure. Uh, and the last part of it is, is, is what I call new-new. In other words, new distribution models, new products, um, uh, you know, the, the stuff that the insurance industry has no um, historical knowledge of. That those are being that those 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 new products. I would you know I don't know. I could try and give you an example. Well, yeah, the gig economy. You know, trying to find ways in which you can give delivery drivers for driver uh, insurance for an hour or two. The insurance industry can't do that. That yeah. has to be built outside the insurance industry by somebody like on else. On demand, professional yeah. empty insurance. You click the button, the insurance policy will start, and then you go about your job, and then you can click end of end of your shift. That's a that's a really good example because I spent a year trying to get a startup professional indemnity insurance on a contract basis. Right. And the insurance industry will only offer professional indemnity annually. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, if you go and say, but can we have it for eight weeks, they can't get their heads around it. So that, that's the sort of thing that comes out. You know, an MGA takes the opportunity, it builds it, it finds a way, and it comes back with, a, with, a, with the tech built, you know, some work done around the data science and says to the insurance industry, can I just have the capital? I don't need anything else. Yeah, and that you know that's a, that's become a very effective way of innovating. Brilliant. I think. I mean, almost the only way of innovating right now. Sure. Brilliant. Thank you. Um, so, leading from that, do you have any advice for insurance companies that may be struggling to keep up with that pace of innovation, or rather, with the pace of implementation? I'm on dangerous ground here because <laughs> I've been telling them that if they don't start digitising soon, then you know, way betide them, and own damnation lies in their path. Uh, and none of them have done anything for 19 years, and they're all still going fine. So, uh, and I'm not sure what the value of my advice would be, but um, I do feel as uh, manifest by Instech London's level of activity that there's more uh, likelihood of there being substantial change in the next few years. That's obviously helped which, by the future of Lloyd's work, which we'll come to in a minute. Yeah, It's been very... Yeah, interesting to see how the market's reacted to uh, Stephen Catling, Convex, uh, um, Steve McGill going to set up his new broker, because that the sense is that they are businesses with no legacy that could build true digital platforms from scratch and be fundamentally more efficient. Uh, when you see Paolo Cuomo go to Brit and start uh, as a head of strategy building a digital model, uh, for them, you, you, if you are their competitors, you might start to think now that you should be doing some of this stuff. And, and what's happened, if I may just extend this a bit, while nobody digitizes, there is no competitive disadvantage to not doing it. So yeah. you can all stay undigital. The moment your competition 
gets digital because it'll take you three to five years to catch up. You've already left it too late. So what's going on behind the scenes is um, I wonder when's the last available moment that I could actually start to invest <laughs> in this because, because I'm, I have to wait till I believe everybody else is going to do it. Yeah. And, and my advice would be you know, in, in, in relation to that question, it's, it's soon. It, so it, it can't, yeah, yeah. It can't yeah. be long before somebody or a series of people come up with a true digital insurance model. At that point, you you are exposed for the first time. So, so the wait and see strategy is really coming to an end. It's no longer going to be viable because we we've seen that happen over the last couple of years. Many insurers adopting this. Let's wait and see what happens. But you're effectively saying that's not a viable option anymore. Really, I. I in, what's happened is is that we've done we've done our customer badly. You know, we've, we've not done the right thing by our customers. We're inefficient. We don't care enough about them. The cost of provision is too high. Uh, and because there's nowhere else for those customers to go, it hasn't mattered. The day that you, one insurer can provide a better product, really care about their customer, provide the flexibility that you just talked about, yeah. and at 30 or 40% cheaper than anybody else, you are you are in real trouble. Uh, and and, I, and I, I believe that could happen. I could believe it happened within, you know, within 48, within, within a year or two, probably. Uh, and, 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 that, and so the answer to the question is yes. Uh, but, but, you know, there is also an alternative strategy, which is perfectly viable, which is, I don't think I'm any good at this. I, 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 it's no point in me going digital. I will remain uh, a legacy analog business and simply be part of the consolidation play when Helga in, in, in a handbasket, you know, because th th that's, a, that's a strategy. I mean, you don't have to do this. You can just sell your business and move on. Huh? But if a strategy isn't adopted soon, what does that mean for the insurance industry? I know we're going on to end, but just fighting from that. Seeing if the wait and see strategy is wearing thin and it's not sustainable, then how do you think it's going to work moving forward? Um, I, I think uh, that... that uh, Someone like Amazon has completely reset customer expectations yeah. and, and that what happens at some point is that the customer becomes truly aware that, that insurance is rubbish. Uh, you know, and there's a consequence to that. Uh, um, and and, and I mean, part of what is a completely new um, theme for this purpose, uh, there are lots of other people out there that uh, know our customers better than we do, who have better data about them, uh, they could be utilities companies, they could be their accounting platforms, they could be all kinds of things. Uh, if they know them better, if they are trusted more, uh, then they will have the relationship with the customer and all the insurer will ever do will be provide regulated capital to provide uh, insurance to them. And that's a pretty ordinary business to be in. At that point, that's about the amount of capital you can raise, cost of capital, cost of big compliant capital and you're just making it available to other people I mean I I, I wouldn't want to work in a business like that yeah no interestingly um, I did want to ask about the cost of capital and supply and capital because unlike most fintechs insurtechs do tend to collaborate with industry incumbents and they do often rely on the incumbents balance sheets and their underwriting capacity um, so in light of this can insurtechs really disrupt the industry or will the relationship really just remain collaborative well it's a terribly well informed question <laughs> um, I don't. It's like that now, because I think insurtechs three years ago did think they could disrupt. Uh, I think I think that they were mostly people from outside the industry, 
uh, they'd had a bad experience with insurance. They'd seen that the industry was ripe for disruption. Yeah. And they came in thinking that they could build insurance companies. Um, they completely underestimated marketing costs of attracting a customer base. They completely underestimated the complexity of regulation. And they had no idea how much money you have to raise as, as capital to, be, to meet FCA requirements. I mean, I'm not sure it's possible to be an insurance company for less than 30, possibly 50 million pounds raised by the time you've got marketing leads. You know, and, and that's much more money than somebody from outside the industry can ever raise to be, to, to, to be an insurance company. Yeah. So in the end, they had to make compromises and they had to go for a part of the value chain. Uh, the best of them have gone, off and on, gone to build, to build MGAs, which is nearly everything except the capital. Um, but it is a partnership model. And if you're going to be the partnership model, you can only do things uh, at the pace at which the slowest person can go. And the insurance industry is full of legacy technology, it's full of legacy thinking, and it naturally dilutes the um, disruptive nature of what insurtechs want to do. So if you had an insurtech company who were getting frustrated with the incumbents, um, just for example, like the pace at which they're going, they're used to being having disruptive behaviour and wanting to change the framework of insurance, where do you think these insurtech companies can go in the future if they are fundamentally like fed up, to say, with the incumbents? Can they look elsewhere for capital? I think they're bound to. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, I better not name examples, but there, but there are plenty of people who have built everything uh, to create uh, insurance by the hour, by the driver, by the whatever. Yeah. Uh, and at some point, the only way they can get their capital is to lay off that information in a board row on a monthly basis, and the insurance company take that into their systems and organise themselves from there. What they want is their own capital to be able to, for that to be completely seamless. Uh, and um, I always remember uh, Tom Bolt when he was head of the uh, was still at Lloyd's. He was called Lloyd's the most um, highly regulated capital that nobody could afford, <laughs> uh, which I, you know, which I thought was a really good expression. The, the ability for those people to get their hands on regulated capital that's not as expensive yeah. as uh, traditionally made available by Lords w would be a game changer. And, and I, you know, sure. I'm in the community long enough to know that there are plenty of people doing that. that they will go out and get a completely alternative source of capital. So interesting. Um, so then segue into, um, we initially heard of, well, personally, I heard of Instech um, and yourself, Robin Mertens, through your keynote speech this year on the Lloyds of London and future Lloyds. Um, since the blueprint has been released, we were just wanted to know what your thoughts were, were on like the tech elements of the Lloyds blueprint. Well, you're trying to court me into um, <laughs> being undiplomatic un again. Uh, um, uh, uh, I think it's obvious what you need to do. I... Um, there's no shortage of people who've written versions of the blueprint over the last, you know, 18 or 19 years. Uh, I applaud John Neal because he's given it this time a sense of purpose and a sense of can do, which kind of has of itself been, um, you know, a source for good. Uh, can, it, can I ask, Robert, yeah. do, you, do you think it's ambitious enough or too ambitious? Do you have a view on, on that? I'm... I'm 
I, I have to go backwards to go forwards. I, I mean, I'm amazed that anybody can write in a blueprint. We have a document-led exchange. Uh, you know, so we're going to carry on exchanging PDFs. It's like, well, you know, whatever. That's not. That is not. That should be not be a blueprint. So the only part of which I become interested in, in is, is in the data-led exchange. Uh, and the data-led exchange is, of itself, you know, pretty, considering where we are, it seems to be pretty ambitious. Uh, and, uh, you know, and I, ha I happen to believe in it. But I still have this fundamental um, belief that the thinking is, uh, how do we digitize what we do, rather than if we were to go digital, how would we rip up what we do and do it in a truly digital way? And, and, the, and the, the reason that the Amazons and the Ubers and the others have been so successful is not because they found a digital way of doing what other people are doing, but they completely ripped up the model. And, and uh, you know, I, 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 think it's, I think it says all the right things, uh, but in the digital world, it's driven not by turning the data into digital data so that you can pass it off in different formats. It's about orchestration. So, so you, are, you are running um, two, two counterparties running real-time estates which are completely updated by a press of a button. Th there's, that's sort of not recognized by, by what's going on. And, and I, I, you know, if they want to do that, they have to go and speak. They have to go right outside the usual suspects and start talking to the Googles and the Amazons and the Microsofts of this world because they're the only ones who understand that stuff. Look, I, I, I'm, I'm not in any way critical. I'm critical of it not having been done in the past. Uh, the judgment must now be made on whether they can execute to what seems to me an incredibly obvious uh, path um, and whether or not they can overcome the problems they had in the, in, the, in the past, which were often around governance, procurement, and the quality of the people who ran the projects. I haven't got myself any friends as a result of that. Um, thank you. So, in light of that, looking at like the insurance industry as a whole, um, do you think the industry is embracing these tech, tech opportunities, or would you just say that they would be paying them lip service? Because we've talked about insure tech companies, but looking at it like, as insurance as a whole, do you think they really are being innovative and embracing the opportunities available to them through technology? Uh, it, look, it's, it's largely lip service. Yeah. I mean, um, I, I believe uh, John Neal really wants to change Lloyd's, but if you if you go too far beneath the surface, that's a that's an absolute prerequisite. Unless unless the corporation of Lloyd's becomes what the corporation of Lloyd's needs to be in the future, which is much more like the London Stock Exchange and the owner of the technology and the uh, regulator in the sense of owning participation rules and, and who plays, then I don't think it has a future in its form. So, so and, and the other people who do the, the best are therefore are the, the reinsurers because, you know, Munich Re is not paying them service, and I don't think Score's paying them service. But that's because the, re the traditional reinsurance model is really, really under threat. And they, they've got to the point where they have to move quite fast because traditional reinsurance won't be around in its current form in five or ten years' time. So just going off from that, um, could you explain why you think reinsurance are more likely to be threatened? Just from, just from, I'm just curious why yeah, but, reinsurance because I think it's insurance. The point that you, yeah, no, it's the point that you made earlier. It, it's easier to swap capital in and out in that, in that world yeah. than, than it is in, in, in the, uh, you know, to consumer world where, where there's much more regulation and, 
uh, and it's much more consolidated. So there's you know there's huge amounts of of um, risk, uh, and it's very dependent on the quality of the data. I mean, it's you know, you, there's a huge amount of risk, and and the management of that risk, the diversification of that risk, is a is um, a, a, a function of how well you can run your analytics and how much you know about your risks. Uh, and I think that therefore the reinsurers understand that. And, uh, and I mean, it reads miles ahead of anybody else. I mean, it, it just has, spends more money. It takes it's more experimental. It tries stuff. It fails. It tries something else. I don't see that happening outside of that. Uh, I admire some of the Lloyd's community. AXA XL, I think, do a great job in the in the composite world. You know, there are, there are there are areas where where people are really trying. Um, but the fundamental problem remains uh, the profile of the workforce, which is uh, analog trained, uh, an age group which doesn't particularly feel the need to, and almost uh, you need to ask the question. I mean, you need you just need to give the, the, all the levers to the kids and let them get on with the digital world. They 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 understand what's needed. I mean, it's still the biggest problem. And so, Robbie, you, you mentioned like Munich and Axa XL people who clearly have very deep pockets. Um, I think, do you think one of the barriers to disruption is a slightly more fundamental issue? Um, I agree with the criticism that insurance needs to be a product that people actually want to buy, not one that they have to buy. And so is part of the problem, do you think, for anyone in the insurance industry that insurance just isn't sexy? People just don't want to buy it, they don't want to engage. So that's just a fundamental problem with the industry. Uh, definitely. I, I mean... Um... And, and the, the, the corollary of that is that the customer doesn't give enough about this stuff to make enough of a fuss about the fact they don't get a very good service because it only happens once a year. You know, and it drives me mad that my broker sends me all my policy uh, you know, in, in, in the post, 120 pages. The wrong audience. You know, <laughs> and I tell them every time not to do that and to send it to me by email, but they can't get their heads around that. Uh, but it's only once a year and I only get mad for a week and then, and then I don't care anymore. You know, so... Um, you can see uh, that when people get to the point where they can crack it uh, in the sense that you, you, you won't even know that you're buying insurance. Uh, I saw a very nice Israeli app the other day where it just tells the insurer what you're doing. So when you're skiing, it insures you for skiing. You know, when you're driving, it insures you for driving. Yeah. You know, when you're walking, it doesn't insure you at all. So, uh, and it creates, by the way, another problem, which is that you, you get your you get your premium based on what you did at the end of the month and that will really annoy me because i've just paid 120 pounds in premium that i never called upon you know that so that's an, i'll have a, i would have a grudge about that but you can see what's happening in the way that uh some of the insurance companies they partner with the utilities companies for instance you know you're going to pay insurance as as part of your utility bill as part of your, it just gets just gets wrapped and it'll stop being annoying then uh, and that's why these ecosystems are so incredibly important because if you wrap um, everything to do with your property into one thing and you, and you just have a kind of um, mobile phone bill at the end of every month, which is part of your utilities, it's part of your insurance, it's part of your... That's what we, I think as a consumer we would like. Uh, and, and you can see the people, move, the, you know, the, the, the big domestic insurers are starting to move to those models. Let's partner with, I don't know, EE and Scottish Power and, and create these frameworks around which people are being insured without, without it being a grudge purchase. Anyway, I'm looking forward to the sort of open finance moving into the insurance sector and being able to have an app that's a dashboard with all of my insurance products, my travel, my health, my whatever else in one place where you can see what you're actually covering, when the renewal is, etc. I'm 
longing for that to happen. Uh, so I saw one uh, that was like that for the cut for your car. So uh, I mean, it's a startup, and he, he hasn't got it yet. But he wanted off your app for you, every time you parked, it would pay your parking. Every time you went to the congestion zone, it would pay that. Every time you went over the toll bridge, it would pay that. And it would pay your insurance. Add-on services as, a, as well. Yeah. Would, so it was, you were just wandering around with an app, going renew my insurance, you know, you know park. I'd love, yeah. I'd love it. I mean, that's how to pick get people to engage, isn't it, with insurance? Right? Exactly, yeah. or not, because at that point they're getting it without having to engage. Mm. Um, but but you know, uh, the, 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 there are, that's there are areas where the 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 idea is better than the feasibility of being able to implement. I'm I'm not sure that's doable. But but if it was, we would all love it. Brilliant. Thank you, Robin. So finally, we just wanted to ask you, because we can't invite you here to Clifford Chance without asking whether you think lawyers can help or hinder the advent of tech and insurance. You've mentioned that the incumbents are obviously like heavily regulated, so you want to know your take on how lawyers can help. Um. Oh dear. No, no. <laughs> yeah. I mean, one of the biggest problems for startups is how difficult it is to raise money in the early part of their um, you know, development. So there's no end of uh, venture money available to you once you have working tech, a customer, £250,000 of income. and So getting from uh, your bedsit-driven idea to um, a, a decent business is really hard. No one's going to lend you money until you've got to a certain point. You can't get to a certain point without money because you yeah. need to develop things. Uh, you know, lawyers have a big role to play in that. I mean, they, they you know, it, re it requires um, a, a, a sort of flexibility that uh, lawyers haven't necessarily been able to show to this point, which is um, joining all of us who work in the industry in taking bets on um, providing uh, free or uh, cost-effective advice to people who will one day become your next customers. And, and I think you know, some law, law firms are doing that, and I, and I admire them for it. Um, you can also see how easily it is to disrupt lawyers. Uh, there's a thing called seed legals, which, which I'm incredibly impressed by, uh, and which if I was a lawyer, I wouldn't like it the slightest bit. Um, but, but for a startup, it basically says, here's all the contracts you will ever need, and, and here's your contract of employment for you, the chief exec. Here's how you apply for SEIS or SEIS. Here's your share option scheme. Here's your... And behind the scenes, there are people who advise you if you, if you have requirements over and above standard things now, and and um, it's done on a subscription model you pay 200 pounds a month or, or something so so I think the I think to some extent the, the, it's it's not the, the law can help but lawyers also need to work out that um, things are changing around about them and, and there, yeah. there's a, an element of disruption yeah, in, in the legal term all, yeah, in yeah. too I mean lawyers are also involved in the heart of the industry I mean if you look at you know TPAs for liability claims and stuff I don't think that's done very cost-effectively. I mean, I, you know, insurers are a jolly good source of work for a lot of law firms, and and um, you know that's a disruptable revenue source. But I I I I think um, I mean I you know I'm not sure the help is is anything more than playing your part in helping these people grow into big businesses, and when they're big businesses, they'll be big big clients. And I, I think we have to recognise in this world that there are a lot of startup businesses around, and that's part of the model. Yeah, we do actually have a plan next year, which hopefully um, you'll come to, to have a, an event on ethics in artificial intelligence, because I think that's a real hot topic buzzword for you know, the foreseeable future in, in AI and in short tech and fintech as well. So we'll uh, 
we'll, we'll Let come. Let you know about that. Um, I'll, I'll be there. It's a, it couldn't be hotter. And, yeah. and, and if the world's going to be run by algorithms, we better, sh we better work out how we ensure them, mm -hmm. because that is the other big thing, yeah. I think. Who owns them and how you ensure them. Yeah. Thank you. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Robin. Um, I especially like the point on the wait and see model running its course. So look forward to keep an eye on that in months to come or years to come, according to you. <laughs> um, so Robin, thank you very much again for coming in to talk all things in Shortech with us. Um, but before you go, Emma and I, we just wanted to know if you could tell us your 2020 predictions for InsureTech. Um, I wonder. Uh, no, is the answer. <laughs> None. None. No prediction. Keeps no. Close to his chest. That's, okay. that's, Apart um, from ethics, I guess. Yeah, that's ethics is, is hot. Yeah. 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 Okay. Thank you very that, much. No, I really appreciate the opportunity. And as you know, I could talk all day about these things. So uh, thank you for getting no, me on. That was very interesting. Thank, thank you. you. And if you enjoyed that, you may be interested in listening to some of our other podcasts on cliffordchance.com or for more information on other business topics such as fintech, Brexit and global trade, have a look at our thought leadership pages and online hubs, Talking Tech and our Brexit hub. You've been listening to the Clifford Chance podcast. Please stay tuned for more coming soon to cliffordchance.com.